Welcome to the Unconventional RD Podcast, where we inspire dietitians to think outside of the traditional employment box and create their own unconventional income streams. We'll talk all things online business to help you start, grow, and scale your own digital empire. Hello, hello. I am back again with another video about SEO. And this time I'm talking about people who think, hey, I already show up number one when people search for me in Google. So why do I need SEO? So I am here to talk to you about why ranking number one for your name or your brand name is actually not really helping you. The paradigm shift that you must make in order to start gaining an audience online and how to know exactly what content to create so that you don't waste your time and it actually works for you to grow your audience. And if you want to join us for a follow-up conversation and you're not yet in my Facebook group, I have a free Facebook group, the Unconventional RD community, if you want to check that out. So let's dive in. So if you're just getting started in the online space, this is a super common sentiment that I hear. When I Google my name or my brand name, I show up number one. So why do I need SEO? And if you're not familiar with what SEO is, SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization, aka how to get your website to show up at the top of the search results. And when people first hear about SEO, oftentimes their first reaction is, well, I'm already ranking at the top of the search results when I type Erica Jolson into Google or the unconventional RD, for example. So I must be all set for my SEO. All done, close the book, move along, my website's visible, check, check, check. And that is honestly a huge mistake. If this is your line of thinking right now, that's okay. We've all been there. But to me, that means that we need to talk way more about what SEO is exactly and how it can help you grow your audience and then by extension, your business and your bottom line. So if you watch the last video that I posted, you saw exactly how to figure out what keywords your website is currently ranking for. So pay attention to this video. If when you looked at what keywords your website was ranking for, you saw your name or your brand name at the top and not much else. Because if that's true, then you are sitting on a lot of potential that you have not tapped into yet. So what is wrong with the idea of thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm already ranking when I search for myself. So like, isn't that all we want? Like what better could be out there? Uh, wouldn't it be good to be ranking number one for your own brand name? And yeah, I mean, ranking number one for your name or your brand name is definitely a start. It's a good start, but it's really just a start. It takes very little effort to achieve that. If you are the first result when you type in your brand name, that simply means that Google understands that your brand exists. And they assume that if someone is typing in your brand name or your name, that they are looking for you and your website. And yay, like that's how search is supposed to work, right? But the problem arises when people think that, okay, cool, you know, that's it. I'm done. No more work to do. Time to go post on social media all day. My SEO is handled, blah, blah, blah. And that really couldn't be further from the truth. The truth is that if people are finding your website by typing in your brand name, that means they must already know you in order to find you. Let me say that again. If the number one way that people are finding your website on Google is by typing in your name or your brand name, they must already know you in order to find you. 
So that means that, well, yes, people are out there intentionally looking up your website and visiting it via Google. They must have heard about you through other marketing channels, right? Maybe you have a large social media following on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, whatever. Maybe you have a successful podcast. You do a lot of media work. You have a YouTube channel. Maybe you just have a, a local in-person presence, whatever. But if the majority of your organic search traffic, meaning the people who visit your website from search engines like Google, comes from branded search terms, that means you're not really reaping any true benefit from SEO. When you have a good SEO strategy, your branded searches will be a tiny drop in the bucket compared to how many people visit your website each month through your blog posts, generally speaking. There's some exceptions, obviously. But with a good SEO strategy, it's actually the content on your website that is working for you to attract thousands of people, new people, I should specify, to your website every single month. These are people who don't already know about you, people who are looking up the topics that you're an expert in, people who may be interested in working with you or enrolling in your course or buying your digital goods or purchasing a product that you recommend or simply reading your content while you earn revenue from display ads. But the true power of SEO is in attracting new people to your brand. Do you see how that's literally the opposite of the thought process that I talked about at the start of the video? So in the first scenario, people will only find you on Google if they already know to search for you specifically. In the second scenario, people are not searching for you. They're searching for questions that they have, and they're looking for answers from experts. And you can be the person who appears in the search results to help them. They might not know you exist yet, but they do know that they have a problem and they want help. And if you understand SEO, you can figure out exactly what your ideal client, reader, customer, et cetera, is searching for through a process called keyword research, and then cre create the content strategically that you know that they want. And you, if you do it properly, can be the one who shows up at the top of the first page of the search results to help them. And if you do this enough times, <laughs> create enough pieces of content that are optimized for different keywords, if you do that enough times over a long enough period of time, suddenly your name is popping up everywhere when they look for answers to things in your niche. You become a name to know, a trusted resource, somewhere where they start to maybe specifically want to go for answers, and that builds on itself as well. And you can capitalize on this momentum and this surge in new traffic by setting up lead magnets within your content, where you offer something for free in exchange for someone joining your email list so that you can keep in touch with these people and provide a ton of value over time. Then at some point in the future, you can offer the opportunity to work with you or purchase something from you. And a certain percentage of people on your list will buy every time you present an offer to. And the best part is that SEO optimized content on your website is evergreen, meaning if you do it right, that content will continue to rank and bring people to your website every single day for years to come. So unlike social media, where there's this intense pressure to create, create, create in order to stand out, with SEO, it's a slow burn. Each piece of content you add to your site is like building a castle brick by brick. When you're just starting out and you've got a handful of bricks, you know, it's easy to feel discouraged, but as you keep strategically building, following your well-laid plans, suddenly you step back and see that you've created an empire. You've built a huge, valuable digital asset that is a major driving force for your business. So long story short, if you are currently ranking mostly for branded search terms, 
you're sitting on a gold mine. You're sitting on a huge uncapitalized on opportunity. So if you want to learn more about how implementing an SEO strategy can actually help you grow your business and attract new people without having to post all day on social media, you can download my free SEO roadmap at seofreebie.com. I'll walk you through the main components of SEO and how they play into your overall vision to help you create and run a profitable online business. And let's continue this discussion. If you are not already in my free Facebook group, the Unconventional RD community on Facebook, definitely head over and request to join. And I'll drop the link in the comments below if you are watching this video on Facebook. Um, otherwise, just search for it on Facebook and head over there to continue the discussion. But yes, long story short, when you're looking at what your website is currently ranking for in your ideal world, you want to see content bringing thousands of people to your site every single month so that you can then take that audience and build an empire with it. Hope that was a helpful video and looking forward to continue the, continuing the discussion. All right. So originally I was going to stop there and just answer that one question for this podcast episode, but then it seemed like way too short. It was like eight minutes or something. So instead, I am also going to tack on some recorded audio from one of my older office hours calls that I think you would find really valuable. So I hope you enjoy this as a little bonus at the end of this episode. Oh, and of course, if you are interested at all in learning more about my SEO course, where this audio recording came from, the best place to go is seowaitlist.com and add your name and email there and it will sync you into a sequence of emails where I will tell you more about the course and give you the opportunity to watch a masterclass that I have that tells you all about SEO for food, nutrition, and wellness professionals and why it's important and what you could be doing in your business with SEO to increase your leads and your bottom line. So I definitely recommend checking that out. And watching that masterclass is the way to get the official invite into the course. I don't have a publicly available sales page. So if you are at all interested, simply add your name to the waitlist at seowaitlist.com and you'll get that series of emails, watch the masterclass, and then you can get on into the course. Oh, and I also want to note that I did try to anonymize this office hours. So if you hear a little weird choppiness, it's because I cut out people's names. And if people were asking about specific keywords, I also cut out those specifics as well. Um, so, you know, they don't suddenly get a bunch of competition from people listening to this podcast. So just try to follow along. I don't think it hindered the conversation too much, but if it's a little choppy, that's why. Let's dive into the recorded audio. Hello, everybody. I know I'm coming live to you from a new location. We just moved to the Bay Area from Los Angeles yesterday. So um, I'm at my parents' house until we get everything moved in. Um, so it's a little hectic because we also have a three-month-old baby. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> do our best today. Um, but I, I went through and made the slides like usual for today's conversation. Um, if you have any questions live, you can put them in the chat box at any time, and I will make sure I get to those while we're on the call. Um, but other than that, I will go through um, all the questions that were submitted in advance as well. So let me share my screen. And happy holidays. Hope everyone's November and December are going well. Okay. 
So here we are, December 2021 office hours. Uh, And as always, I like to celebrate people's wins in the beginning um, before we get into the questions. So a few exciting wins. Domain authority went up by two points this week. Uh, I think this was shared on last week's wins post in the Facebook group. And she's launching her first online program in 48 hours. So hopefully that went well. Uh, And if you want to work on increasing your domain authority too, that's again, all about backlinks. And that's in the backlink bonanza section in lesson four. And that helps you rank better. Uh, And then celebrating, she made it on the first page of Google in under two months of blogging. Yay! I think she was in like spot seven or something for that keyword and probably continue increasing as her domain authority increases. So Hooray. And that was for a keyword searched several hundred times per month, considered to be yellow difficulty in key search. So not even like a super, super easy one. Um, So good job on that. And then she was excited. She's doing some affiliate marketing. um, So she got that set up through Amazon and she figured out how to make a link uh, sponsored or no follow and felt like super cool about it (laughs) because it's kind of techy. So that was fun. And her domain authority went up by one. So if you um, haven't gotten to the section on backlinks yet in the course, that's where I talk about making links sponsored or no follow for SEO purposes. Uh, Because if you're compensated at all for a link, you got to make sure you mark it as sponsored so you don't get dinged by Google. Um, Or you can also just put no follow as well. Sponsored is kind of newer. It's just a Google thing. Um, And then celebrating her blog, getting over 3,000 sessions this month. Um, And I think it was just last month that she said she got 2,000. So that's, you know, a 50% increase over last month. So yay, on the way up. That's exciting. And then she shared that she started a new hyperlocal site. So I think she's doing a blog around like a certain town in her state. And because she started that with such a, a great uh, SEO strategy and a really tight niche, and probably I would guess not a lot of competition on the keywords that she's targeting. Um, she has a new site that's it's only a few weeks old and her she posted something and it's already went straight to page three. So obviously it's not page one, but, but the fact that it's even in the Google index in the first 10 pages at all is a great sign. And then it should slowly climb up from there. And for a site that's like a few weeks old, that's amazing. So just more, more excitement over following the right practices and seeing the results. Um, so yeah, there's li- if there's live questions, um, oh, we have another win to share in the chat. Uh, my poop blog post <laughs> since following your system is my best article with my most traffic on page one for some keywords in the UK. <laughs> so yeah, you can really write about whatever you want. <laughs> if you find a good keyword in your niche, maybe she's, she blogs about um, digestive health or something or IBS, but yep, poop, poop blog post, <laughs> bring it in the traffic. That's a funny win. Um, okay, so any other any questions, just go ahead and type them in as we're going. But there were some good questions submitted this week. I really liked this one. She basically, she said she's a food blogger. She's using key search and she was trying to decide which post to write first. She had one potential target keyword and key search said that that was searched 1,900 times per month and had a difficulty score of 22. And the other one was which said it had a search volume of 27,100 and a score of 27. And actually I need to, I want to double check something on this key search. So first thing off the bat, that sounded a little crazy high on that keyword. So I want to try changing it to 
US only and see what happens. Okay. Yeah. So that's exactly what I thought. Okay. So a few things, key search by default, when you're searching, it puts you on uh, all locations you can see here. So it's like worldwide searches. Um, so you can see when you search for, for that, for all locations, like around the world, that's when you get the 27,000 searches per month. And that's most likely because that's, you know, in Italian. And so there's probably people outside of the U.S. searching for that, maybe more so than people in the U.S. So you need to think about where your readership's coming from and where um, you're trying to rank, because <laughs> if you're mostly getting U.S.-based traffic, you're probably better served actually by changing the location to United States and then doing that search again, because you'll see a dramatic difference. <laughs> so this is only 720 searches per month, which for the US feels more correct because I don't know about you, but I don't have, I don't think any of my friends, even if they cook necessarily would be searching for that specific of a phrase uh, right off the bat. This just makes more sense. So 720 searches a month seems more accurate than 27,000. Um, so across the world, yes, but that doesn't mean that that's necessarily um, the type of traffic you'd get if most of your stuff is ranking in the U.S. So if most of your, and probably a lot of food blogs, most of the traffic comes from the U.S. And if you do your recipes in, you know, standard metrics, not, uh, not the metric system, then you're most likely going to be getting shown for the U.S., not like Europe or wherever, if you're writing your recipes with cups and things like that instead of uh, milliliters and liters. Uh, so things like that. Um, so I would I would change it to the U.S. as you're doing the keyword research and then rethink about your decision. Uh, so then let me go back to her question. So basically, as we move forward, as I answer this question, I'm going to think about this search volume actually being 720 and a score of 27 versus the 27,000. Um, so just for the sake of learning, let's do the searches. So here I'm going to open up. So you can see I am actually randomly ranking first on page three from a recipe on my old food blog. Uh, if you're logged in, you might see stuff like this from Google. Just only you see this. No one else will see this, but it, it pulls in data from your Google search console if you happen to be ranking for something that you Googled. <laughs> so you can see that, yes, I'm on page three for this and 128 people have seen it in the last 28 days, but no one has clicked because as we know, very few people actually go past page one or maybe page two uh, to look for something, especially a recipe. So here's what the SERPs, SERP stands for search engine result pages. So I say SERPs a lot, but here's what the SERPs look like. And you can see um, each keyword tool uses slightly different data. So keywords everywhere says this is searched 1600 times per month. Key search said 1900, but that's not that big of a difference. Okay, so you can see the first result here is Bon Appetit, domain authority of 84. That's pretty high. Uh, here, let me turn on my Moz bar. Uh, and then you see the recipes here. Um, and you can only show up in the recipe carousel if you're using recipe schema. Uh, and so the next, the next one in spot two is LA Magazine. But, and I'm, this could be, I'm not 100% sure because I'm searching from California and I'm in the Bay right now, but I was in Los Angeles. So I'm not sure if they're showing me a lot of LA related things because of my location or if it looks the same everywhere in the US. But for what I see, I see LA Magazine as the second spot. 
and they're not using recipe schema. So if you click on that post, they're just typing the recipe out in the text. And you know that there's no recipe schema. Usually um, if there's no, see how uh, Bon Appetit up here, there's the picture and there's the star ratings and how many people rated it, et cetera. Um, that's a sign that they're using recipe schema. If they're not, then they're not going to get any of those rich snippets because you need schema to get those. And then also another sign, um, since they're not using the recipe schema on the LA Mag post, they're also not showing up here in the recipe carousel because that comes completely from schema. Um, so Bon Appetit is, so they have the number one spot in the, the carousel and the regular search results. And then goes down from there. So as you're scrolling through, you can kind of see there's uh, quite a few people on page one for this keyword who are not using recipe schema. There's like one, two, three out of the 10. Um, however, yes, the domain authorities of the, the first few are pretty high. So domain authority 84 for Bon Appetit, and they're using recipe schema. So you're probably not going to outrank them anytime soon. <laughs> but Maybe you have a shot against LA Mag because yes, their domain authority is big, but this particular page only has five backlinks. So maybe if you got more backlinks to that specific post, you could be competitive. And since they're not using recipe schema, you might be able to bypass them and or people may be less likely to click on this result because there's no picture. So if you came in here with a really enticing picture and ratings like this person down here, um, just the average user might just quickly be like, scroll, scroll. Oh, this looks good and click. Um, so who knows? It, you could get better results possibly, even if you're not in the top one or two spots. So I think this is a really good keyword to target. Uh, and you can see that these websites up here in the carousel are also not that authoritative. So the second one is Brock Your Body, which has a domain authority of 31. And then the third one, this Bobby Boyd person, who has a domain authority of seven, seven. So you definitely have a shot uh, of getting in there and taking one of those spots. So I would probably go for this keyword and that's a really good volume as well. And then I just wanted to point out that even if you, she thought that maybe Bon Appetit wasn't using recipe schema because when you click on the post, it doesn't look like a recipe card, like most bloggers you can see it looks like, oh, maybe they just typed this in here. This is because it's Bon Appetit and they're most likely using a crazy custom website that someone built for them and they have a team, I'm sure, formatting all this stuff. So since they're that type of company and that big of a business, like it's a magazine, they're not a food blogger. They're not like doing it DIY, like installing a recipe plugin. They have probably a team of people. So they do have the schema because you can add schema to the code on any page manually. So that's most likely what they're doing. They have somebody coding it and inserting it themselves. So they do have the schema. They're just not using a recipe card plugin like you would see for most bloggers. But as a blogger, you should definitely be using a recipe card plugin and not doing this by hand. <laughs> um, so yeah, but since you can also tell that they're using the schema, like I said, because of the picture and the star ratings and the fact that they're in the recipe carousel. So it's not always just based on looks. And then if you really weren't sure and you wanted to check manually, you could always do, oh, I don't remember what the name of the website is. I'll put schema checker Google. So they changed it. I used to use the structured data testing tool, but they changed it 
and they renamed it to schema markup validator and they redirect you here. So you could take, you can go to this website, validator.schema.org and you can take any URL. Let's pretend you were, you just weren't sure if somebody was using schema and you want to evaluate your competition. You put it in here, run the test. And then you can see over here, it will pull up any schema that they do have. And you can see they have recipe schema that they obviously filled out themselves. So there we go, they do have it. So that's another way to check. And then with, it has a volume of 720 searches per month in the US. And here's what your competition looks like. Just off the bat, I can tell it's harder because just the top three spots, like compared to what this one looked like, you had a domain authority of seven person in the top three spots up here. <laughs> uh, on this one, you're competing with websites like New York Times Cooking and Dinner at the Zoo is a pretty big food blog. I'm not familiar with Cooked by Julie, but she is the number one spot. Domain authority, 31. That's not that hard. So most likely she is getting the number one spot because she's using the exact match keyword and she has a video that might be helping her uh, versus dinner at the zoo. It, like I said, that's a pretty big food blog. They have a domain authority of 61, but they're not using the exact phrase, but she's not using the exact keyword in the title. So she's, that's probably why cooked by Julie is taking the spot above. And then you have some other like domain authority, 19, New York Times is down here, but like the further down. So let's see, 48, 37. So yeah, slightly harder overall, the people on page one, more people are using recipe schema. And overall, probably if you did the math, the average domain authority is probably a little bit higher. Than, um, so that's most likely why the score in key search is, is harder. So she was wondering, it was like, should I go for Reno? And this is back when she was thinking, the search volume was 27,000, even though it was a little harder, or should I go for the 1900 searches per month with the easier score? Now that we changed it to the US searches only, I think it's a pretty obvious go for because it's easier and the search volume in the US is higher. Actually, let me try doing it in the US. That seems like something Americans who don't cook a lot of pasta would type. So let's see, maybe it'll be slightly lower, but hopefully not by a ton. Yeah, 1600. So it matches now what the results said in Keywords Everywhere. So they must pull the same US data sources. So yeah, even though it's 1600, that's still better than 720. And it's easier, a lot easier. But they're both, you know, in the easy range and possible to rank for. So hopefully that helps. Um, and then the other last part of the question was, does volume play a role in the score key search gives a key phrase? No, it's just purely based on how competitive the search results are. So theoretically, you could have something searched 10 times per month. That's super hard for some reason. And you could have something searched thousands of times that for whatever reason, no one's really uh, adequately written content on and you could swoop in and write about it. So volume doesn't matter. Um, so do, and then she said, do I have a shot in ranking in the first two spots first? Hard to say, like whether or not you can make to the first two is a bit of a grab bag because obviously no one knows exactly what Google's going to do. If we did, then we'd all be pros. <laughs> I doubt that you would outrank Bon Appetit for spot number one, but it, I do think you have a shot at potentially outranking that LA Magazine spot because they're not 
even using recipe schema, then you definitely have a shot at getting in the recipe carousel for sure. So I think that's a great keyword to target. And because you're trying to get this person's monetization strategy is volume-based. So most food bloggers are primarily monetized through ads. So again, going for the higher volume keyword uh, will get you more traffic if you can get onto page one faster than going for the really niche ones that um, sometimes people who are selling a product would go for. <laughs> Let me see if there are any questions related to this. Okay. So a couple questions related to what I just said before I move on. What is considered a good volume? Is 170 too low? So that's a loaded question. <laughs> it, in my opinion, mostly matters on what your monetization strategy is. So for those of you who've been in the course for a while and maybe haven't gone back to the newer videos that I added this year, I tried to address this in the beginning because it comes up so often. Basically, I've conceptualized two different pathways or three different pathways of blogging. So there's the pathway of people who don't have any interest in selling products or services. They just want to create content and monetize in a more passive way with things like ad revenue, affiliate links, or possibly sponsored content where they work with brands. And I've been calling that the publisher model. And if that's you, then volume is where you need to be because all of those income streams are largely dependent on how many people come to your website every month. And the more people you get, the more money you'll make, both from ads, clicks to affiliate links, and how attractive you look for working with brands for sponsored content. Um, so if that's you, the higher you can get, the better, because it's all about getting people to your site. Obviously you need to stay on topic and on niche and not like rewriting about 50 billion things just based on volume of keywords. It needs to make sense with your brand and your content plan. But if, in terms of how to prioritize, if you're choosing between different things that are like, you know, you could go either way on writing about either topic or either recipe, go for the higher volume, generally speaking, um, Although if the volumes aren't that different and the uh, difficulty scores are one significantly easier than the other, then I'd probably go for the easier one um, for the quicker win, because what's the point? Like if you're able to get on page one, but you're, you can't get past spot number nine or something because the difficulty was harder, that's not going to give you as good of results as maybe a slightly lower volume keyword, but the competition was so easy that you're in the top half of page one very quickly, if that makes sense. So it's a bit of a use your best judgment and you'll learn through experience as well. Like as you try different things and you publish them and you see what's working for your site and your niche and your brand, because part of it is niche specific as well. Like if you are writing about something that Google thinks your website is an authority on, that will give you a little help, a little boost as well. So it's, it's, there's no one universal answer. Um, but if you're going for the publisher model, like when I was doing keyword research for recipes, my informal goal was to try to find recipes that were a thousand searches a month and up for the best bang for my buck. But that was just me. So you don't have to follow that. But that was my informal strategy. And of course, I would make exceptions for things if I found a great, easy, easy, maybe even a blue keyword um, in key search and it was several hundred a month, that could be worth it too. Because like I said, if you get at the top couple spots or something like that, you could end up getting a lot of clicks, even though the volume's a little lower. So it's, it's a judgment call. 170, if it was a recipe, I probably would not choose that because just because unless I had a really, really tight niche, because I just think you can do better. <laughs> I think you can find other recipes that are not 
taken yet um, at higher volumes that are still easy enough to rank for. However, if you're in the other type of business model, if you're going for the more online business or services model where you are trying to sell something for a product like physical good, a digital good, um, a course, a group program, a membership site, or your one-on-one services, in that type of business model, it's not about volume. It's about the right person coming to you because what good does it do you if like Joe Schmo from you know, Timbuktu is looking at your content and they're not at all your ideal client, then you're, and you're not using ads, you're not using affiliate links, you're not interested in sponsored content, then that person coming to your site, it's kind of like, what's the point? You, It's not about the volume, it's about the right person. So if, if you're primarily trying to sell something, you need to be paying attention to getting the right people to your site. So for those people, the lower volume, but very, very like on-brand niche specific questions related to problems that your um, ideal customer has, that's what you should be targeting. So in those scenarios, a volume of 170 could be great. Uh, If you're ranking for a question, like let's say, I don't know, you work with people with celiac disease or something and you have a gluten-free related website and for people with celiac disease and you have a whole blog section where you answer questions perhaps that people have like I don't know what is the best gluten-free bread I don't know that could be something they're interested in uh and you write that a real if it was easy enough to rank for you wrote a great post you ranked for it people come to your site you know that that person is looking for a gluten-free bread for a reason maybe they have celiac disease maybe they don't have celiac disease, but they're gluten-free for whatever reason. And perhaps you have some sort of like gluten-free, getting started with gluten-free lifestyle course or membership site or support group or something that you're selling. If you're writing content all about gluten-free stuff, you know, the people searching for that may then also be interested in purchasing something from you if they feel like they need more support and help Um, versus if you were just creating a recipe for, I don't know, almond milk, you don't know that that person, like anyone could be searching for almond milk, um, not just people who are specifically following a gluten-free lifestyle. So it's more about the intent. And for those people, 170 volume could be just fine. So that that's sort of my answer to that one. It depends <laughs> as most things uh, are in SEO. Um, so you got to go a little deeper than just thinking about the volume. Okay. I'm going to, f- let's see. I want to get the submitted questions done and then I'll come back to these. So how far in advance should we publish posts related to holidays to gain enough traction for Google to recognize in time? So for example, writing about intuitive eating at Christmas and the general response is about six weeks in advance. So if you're writing for Christmas, you want to try to publish that maybe like mid November. That's the general advice, maybe up to eight weeks in advance, but six weeks is the most common recommendation. And that's for Google and Pinterest. So Uh, That gives Google enough time to crawl the content and figure out how to rank it before the holiday, (laughs) before everyone starts searching for that. And then that also gives Pinterest enough time to get it into their algorithm as well before the holidays. But then obviously for other avenues like social media or um, your email list, you probably wouldn't want to like send that out (laughs) to everybody or like really promote it six weeks in advance on those channels, um, you'd probably wait till closer to the holiday because it's more timely and promote it when it makes sense um, directly to your people. 
And then there was a question, will I be able to transfer from GoDaddy, my domain name to Google domains without a ton of problems? And if, it, if you're just talking about you're registering your domain, I wouldn't even transfer it. It doesn't really matter where you registered your domain. If you just bought the domain and you're not using GoDaddy for hosting, just leave your domain at GoDaddy. That's totally fine. Um, but if you're hosted on GoDaddy and you're trying to switch hosting providers, that's a different question, but that's also not hard. So all they're really doing is changing on, they go into your domain and they change some numbers of where the website is hosted. And it's like, hey, internet, instead of going to this location to find the website files, now go here. So they just transfer your whole website. They basically download and re-upload all of your files to their hosting services, their servers, and then go into where your domain is and change the location of your website, essentially. So it's not really that hard. You just, the, the new host that you signed up with should do it for you. And it shouldn't take very long at all. Other than that, uh, that was a really good office hours. I can hear my son crying. So um, I got to hop off and I will upload this recording into the course sometime tomorrow. So thank you. And I hope you have a great rest of your Wednesday. Bye.